Coastal. Oh, this service is lit. I love your energy already. How you guys doing this morning? Hold on, is it still morning? Oh, we got six minutes before we hit noon. You guys are lit. Let's go. Yeah. And I was going to say, if you don't like to be loud, I'm sorry, you should have came. Actually, all these services been live. You guys are live. I, I just want to encourage. I know they just put an announcement, but sometimes it just helps just to reinforce it. Let me tell you something. I know that the stats are actually true. Around 90 percent of people will actually respond to your invitation if you would use your mouth and invite. And so I'm going to challenge you to grab these invitations and invite people to church on Easter. I'm serious when I say this. I know I joke with it because I got a few of them. But my drunk uncle, you will show up if you say come out on Easter and we want them to come everybody will come on Easter they'll find an excuse to wear their Sunday best get their shirt tie combo from TJ Maxx and show up at church I'm telling you that's the only one they got but they will do it on Easter and I believe I believe in populate in heaven and depopulate in hell because the gospel does matter yes sir amen you can put your hands together for that and I'm glad you believe it just so so let's invite some people how many people came to church expecting to receive the word of God today before we get started, can we put our hands together for your other location that's at Light Point? Did I say that right? Let's go. I've been getting it wrong, but I got it right there. I'm excited about it. And you guys got um, amazing leaders. Can we show love and honor to Pastor TJ? I know he's been on a sabbatical. And to Pastor Shayla, put your hands together for them. They, they really are great leaders. I, I love what God is doing through your guy. Ooh, let's get one more shout out to all my volunteers. Yo. They bragged about you, everybody in the blue and the orange and all the other colors you got. I just love it. Thank you for what you do. This house is better as a result of it. This is how we make the kingdom grow, man. God, this is the only entity on the planet, the church that is, that Jesus promised to build it. But in the process of building it, we actually build it. See, it's a, it's a unique thing. I struggle with it sometimes because I'm like, Lord, the world is used to this. And God's like, that's okay. This is the way I'm doing it. And when people give their time, talent, and treasure, we can change this world and flip it upside down. So it's absolutely amazing. Okay, so I'm on assignment today, and I have a word for you. It's the third service, and you ain't got another one. I might keep you here for 62 hours. Let's go. No, it's a joke. I'm not going to do that to you. Uh, but I do have a lot to share with you that I believe could impact your heart and make you leave here uh, for the better. However, the subject matter, I think, can be a little bit challenging. But after surveying a few people in the previous services, they was just like, yo, that was so encouraging. I was like, really? You thought so? That's amazing. So I hope you get something out of it as well. Today, I want to talk to you about this subject of pride. Ooh, somebody say, ooh. Yeah, see, like the subject of pride is an attitude of the human heart that we need to regulate in our hearts. And uh, I'm going to give you some verses in a moment. But but this is something that I really do believe that I'm on assignment from heaven. I believe that the end of last year in prayer, God told me going into this year that my assignment as a church, we were going to talk about spiritual warfare and that I was going to run an expose on Satan. Now, if you understand your Bible a little bit, we obviously serve and love the Lord and we love God. But if you believe in God, you have to believe in the enemy. Yeah. yeah. If you don't, that means you haven't been reading your Bible. <laughs> and that's OK. You can start at any moment. But, but you, you do have to understand that there is a real foe. He's not an equal opposite. Sometimes when we go down the line, if I say, hey, mention the opposite. If I said black, you say white. If I said up, you said down. If I said God, most people would say Satan. But if you said that, you would actually be wrong because he's not an opposite to God because there's no equal with him. Yeah, he's actually a lesser. He's a foe. He's defeated. However, he does have schemes and he does have methods that we need to understand or sincerely, 
sincerely. You could be sincerely wrong and begin to operate like him and not know that you're behaving like him. <laughs> we don't want that. We don't want, and that's why we're going to talk about the subject matter because uh, if you don't know this, when Satan fell, the first sin wasn't committed in the Garden of Eden. The first sin was technically committed in heaven. And it was an attitude of the heart. And if you've read your Bible in the book of Revelation, it alludes that Satan, who actually is the name after his fall, before he fell, he was known as Lucifer. He was an angel in heaven and he had this pompous, arrogant attitude in his heart and he wanted to replace God. I'm going to be greater than you. I'm going to be like the most high. And as a result, the Bible says, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but the Bible says that he fell down from heaven. Jesus actually says this in Luke chapter 10. He says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning to the earth. That's how fast you fall when you operate in pride. Yeah. Arrogance will make you fall real quick. And how many people know you don't want to serve a leader where they're arrogant? I need you to respect that power if I gave you the role to get in that role. I need you to be humble enough to be able to be confident when you need to be confident, but to be respectful of what people underneath you. Oh, my God, that's so good. Whether you got some out of that or not, that's still good. So, 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 so we, we, he falls. And as a result, he's trafficking around in this world, trying to tempt people and test them in the areas of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye and the pride of life. So let me give you some scriptural verses to support this. And I believe we're going to get something out of this. And the Holy Spirit is going to regulate our hearts so that we can continue to be a value in the kingdom, not a hindrance. Yes. Yeah, it's awesome. First uh, John chapter two, verse 15, it says, so do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. Verse 16. That's this is the highlight, because this is the only time the term the pride of life is used. And I want to use it because that's the name of the message for everything in the world. What's all that's in the world? The, these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye and the pride of life. The Bible says it doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from the Father, but from the world. These three things are the things that concern us. These three things are the areas. These are the three weapons that the enemy uses to tempt you in. All sin, my brothers and sisters, fall under one of these three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye. And the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, all of the longings of our, our fleshly nature, this impulse that, that, that pushes us to just have the appetite to, to defy God, the lust of the eye, this insatiable appetite that everything we see, one is never enough. We got to keep having more. Ooh, I'm coming for you right now. Uh, 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 and then number three, the pride of life. The pride of life really is this category where these are attitudes of the heart, pride, Envy, jealousy, conceit, narcissism. I know you cute, but you don't have to feel like you're cuter than everybody else. <laughs> that was Satan's indictment. Satan was, Satan was so, well, prior to Satan, Lucifer, the way that he was designed, he looked so good. He was adorned with jewels. We're going to read that in a moment. He was adorned with beauty, but because of his beauty, he fell in love with the good thing that God did in his life. And you do know it's possible to be so good at something, have something and be good, or look so good that you can fall in love with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, my mind is running, but not that. Uh, should I say it? Sure. Why not? <laughs> One of the benefits about guest speaking is that you just get to blow in, blow up and blow out. Bye. I'm leaving. And that's Jesus. Pick up the phone. Tell him we're here. We're doing what we're supposed to do. Uh, uh, so, 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 so what was that? What was I saying? 
What was that? Uh, never mind. I was going to talk about the origin of the word narcissist because it comes from Greek mythology where he looked into the water and he saw himself and said, boy, that boy looks so good. He fell in love with himself and his name was Narcissi. That's where we get the term narcissist from. Anyways, that's not my message. Uh, so so when, when, when these three categories, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And so when Satan begins to walk around and traffic through the earth, he says, I'm going to attempt to tempt Adam and Eve with the same three areas. It's found in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 3. It's not on the screen, but it is in my head. And so the Bible says that when she was tempted with the fruit that was hung on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says that the woman saw that the fruit on the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, and that the Bible goes on to say that it was pleasant to her eye, the lust of the eye. And then the Bible says that it was desirous to make one wise, the pride of life. I will be just like God if I ate it. The deception, side note, I love chasing these rabbits because I believe that the Holy Spirit is still in this. But, 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 but when it comes to eating from the tree, isn't it interesting that the enemy's indictment was this, so subtle. He uses the word just. And in that word just, there's deception. If you eat of the tree, you will be just like God. The lie was you were already like God, sugar. You were made in his image and in his likeness. What is it about Satan that he will make you believe that you're something that you're not? Oh, that's the message for today's generation. Let me get out of that right now. But that's been your Bible. It's been in there a long time. And anytime you get challenged by what I said, really, I'm just telling you what God said and you're just wrestling with the Holy Spirit. So please don't kill the messenger. I want to go home safe and sound. Okay, okay. But so here is the enemy now trafficking and he tempts Adam and Eve, which they fell. And, and, and they fell in these three areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And he thought he was so successful with the first man, Adam, that when Jesus came around, he would tempt the last man, Adam, called Jesus, and he would tempt him with the same three things. Here is Jesus fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, and he knew that Jesus was hungry, and he came to him and says, if you be the son of God, turn these stones into bread, the lust of the flesh. And then he took him, and Jesus resisted him with the word. It is written, man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's the only way you're going to be Satan. You're going to be Satan by quoting the promises of God, not quoting your favorite YouTube channel, not quoting somebody's cute post on Instagram, not with TikTok theology. You are going to overcome the enemy by knowing the promises of God. Jesus overcame Satan because he knew the word. Somebody say, know your word. Yeah, you got to spend some time in your boat. But, but he tempts him with the lust of the flesh. And then the Bible says that Satan takes him to the top of the mountain and he shows him. He sh shows the lust of the eye. He shows them all of these kingdoms and says, hey, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of these because it has been given to me. And Jesus resists him with the word of God again. And he overcomes the lust of the eye. And then finally, Satan takes him to the top of the temple. And the Bible says that he encourages Jesus jump off because the Bible says that if you jump off the angels won't even let you dash your foot against a stone in other words prove who you are boast about who you are I know who you are you're the captain of the host if you jump off maybe you can be pompous and poke your chest out and just walk around with some arrogance Jesus prove who you are these people don't know who you are brag about who you are the pride of life an area that sometimes when we're insecure, we feel the need to want to boast and brag. 
This is an area that affects everybody. And I'm convinced that I see so much of it in the world. I have a lot of my friends who happen to be dropping, making poor decisions, and then I'm making poor decisions because of the behavior. I think we stop checking our heart and we stop being humble. Yeah, I can hear the words of the spirit of Kendrick Lamar. We need to sit down and be humble and recognize that God is using us. Yes, we can be gifted. Yes, we can be talented. Yes, you can be good at what you've done, but don't replace God with the gift. Let God keep using you. Be humble and recognize that you could not be there if it wasn't for God. Somebody say, Lord, I need you. Absolutely. And so the text before me, as we talk about the pride of life, what is the pride of life? The pride of life in the Bible is an attitude of self-exaltation. This is what Satan was indicted for. I'm going to be like you. God, I'm going to be greater than you. As a matter of fact, I want to replace you. The spirit of the enemy is a spirit of self-exaltation. And the spirit of Jesus is a spirit of humility. That says, I know I'm king, but I don't have to walk around with a chip on my shoulder like I'm not king. See, when you're insecure and you don't know who you are, you got to push who you are on everyone else because you're the only person that don't know who you are. If I got to walk around all day and tell people I'm the pastor of the house, maybe I'm not the pastor. If you got to walk in the house talking about I'm the man of this house and I'm the husband. If you got to demand all that, maybe you don't. Okay, let me get out of that. You get my point. My point is, is that you should know Jesus knew who he was. He was confident in who he was. He was king amongst other kings and actually king of all the kings and didn't have to push it down their throat because he knew who he was. He wasn't threatened by their crown because he knew he had a crown. Ah. Ah, my mind is just running. So what is the pride of life? The pride of life is the pressure to put. Are you getting anything out of this? Am I up here by myself like the Statue of Liberty holding this mic and my Bible in the hand? Okay, you getting some out of this. The pride of life is the pressure to perform. It's the need to constantly impress. It's the need to prove to everybody who you are. The need for constant human validation. Everybody's jockeying for position. Everybody's trying to get up, trying to be recognized. It's a spirit. It's an attitude. And according to the Bible, it's referred to as the pride of life. For example, uh, your, your brother finished school and you didn't finish school. And everybody talking about how smart he is. And no one acknowledges you. And now you're jealous. And now you're fighting your family and fighting your brother. And it's... It is the pride of life. Oh, yeah. It got quiet in this church right now. But it's something that we all need to deal with. No matter what, in my line of work dealing with, with pastors and leaders, sometimes they forget that God called them and they start comparing themselves to their colleagues. And now Pastor TJ's got another location, but Pastor Emmy doesn't have another location. And now all of a sudden he becomes the standard by which I gauge my success instead of recognizing that God is using him and God is using me. And I don't have to compare myself to him. If he's successful, we all win because we're part of a larger family. Glory to God. Look at the person next to you say, you are not my competition. Oh, you are not my competition. That's right. You are not my competition. The goal is not to be better than you. The goal is to be a better version of the last version of myself. I'm trying to be the better me 2.0 and we're getting away from the old 1.0. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Stop trying to be better than your friends. Be a better version of who you are right now. 
You're 18 years old and you used to be 16. Are you more mature? That's how you know you're developing. But the goal is not to step on somebody else so that you can feel good about you. That's called the pride of life. The pressure to perform, the need to impress, all of that, all of that. In my line of work, especially dealing with people, people will say, if I don't get the position, I'm leaving this church. I'm going to go somewhere else where I could be used. No, sister, you don't mean where you could be used. You mean where you can be seen. It's the pride of life. People jockeying for a title, needing to be seen. And it's pushed a lot with social media. Everybody wants to be recognized, and they don't feel like they're enough unless they got 200,000 followers. Can I? stop for a moment and deal with the young heart in the house today you are more than enough if Christ is in your life I'm telling you what I know the Bible makes so much sense when you understand who you are it doesn't matter if a hundred thousand people are following you or not when you get old enough you're gonna realize that's too much pressure I don't need a hundred thousand jokers following me I got three kids and they too much and truth be told you're only following them and they only following you to stalk your life you ain't got all them phone numbers. You can't even call on them people. It's too much pressure. And we fall into this, 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 this rat race where we think that's significance and really our hearts are leaking with insecurity and we're trying to find security by getting a lot of people to follow us back. But if Jesus is the only person that's following you, I'm telling you, you are enough. And that's not really cliche because I'm in church. I would say that at the bar, in the crack house, to the White House. I would say that everywhere because it's true. Okay, let me go to the text. In Ezekiel chapter 28, I'm going Old Testament on you. I hope you're getting something out of this. Uh, uh, my light point location, are you getting anything out of this? Put your hands together because I can hear you from over there. If you don't clap, I, yeah, huh? Okay. And so uh, 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 Ezekiel chapter 28, we have an Old Testament prophet who's hearing from God and he's now going to speak to this king located in a city called Tyre. The interesting thing is that God is going to kill two birds with one stone. He's going to address the man with power. And while he's addressing him, he says, I need you to as you address him, I'm also going to remind him that he reminds me of Satan. Why? Because according to the New Testament, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. For those of you who've read your Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, sorry, front row, I'm spitting. Did you see that DNA come out right there? I'm so sorry about that. 23 of me all over there lapping everything else. My bad. Let me back up. So, 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 so Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So the Bible is a legend that when you have a fight with someone, really your fight is not with that person. Henry is not the enemy. Susan is not the enemy. Your wife is not the enemy. Your husband is not. The, really, when we get lost in those painful emotions and that negative energy, the enemy works behind the scenes to leverage the people. And you think you're fight is with your co-worker and it's really Satan working behind the scenes so we need to learn how to fight right instead of fighting nasty and fighting right according to the kingdom is walking in love fighting right is learning how to forgive fighting right is learning how to be humble fighting right is really a vulnerable feeling sometimes because the world is going in direct opposition to the way we're supposed to fight does that make sense anytime you want to see what God does look at the world and do the opposite the world says be stingy, hoard, don't share, don't. And then you get into the kingdom and God says, given it shall be given unto you. 
God will say, be shared, be generous and to give. And you look at the world and the world says, be negative, be angry, be unforgiving. And there's no way you're going to walk on this stage and smack me in my face because I'm going to return. Yeah. Oh, you haven't watched the Oscars? Come on. You know what I'm talking about. We're going to bring it up in here today. We're going to church and have a real conversation. But the word of God says that Jesus would have forgave. And Jesus would have said, let's have a hard conversation and talk through that. Why are you smacking me in the face? You get my point. So my point is, is that the world is doing something in direct opposition to the things of God. So we have to learn how to fight the kingdom's way, not the crazy way. Oh, okay, so, so Ezekiel, I got to get to the text, but I'm really a little bit comfortable because I know this is third service. So I'm not going to keep you here too long, but, but Ezekiel 28, he's talking to a man. He's dealing with Satan. Look at what he says, son of man, lament for the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, you know, homeboy in this text wasn't living that long. If he was in Eden, we're talking about somebody else who happened to be in the garden of Eden. And then he says, every kind of precious stone covered you, carnelian, topaz, and diamonds, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald. Your mountains and your settings were crafted in gold. They were prepared on the day that you were created. He says, God dressed him up and adorned him, Satan that is, or Lucifer, in this beautiful looking way. That phrase right there, your mountains and settings were crafted, it gives the impression that he had instruments built inside of him. And so in heaven, Satan led praise and worship and his job was to take all the praise and direct it to God but in somewhere in the process as being this gifted talented beautiful looking specimen he would hear the praise and want the praise and he turned around and made the praise God instead of making God God you do know it's possible to get blessed by God and then turn around and make the thing God gave you into another God that you worship Oh, my God. Sometimes people do that with people. Oh, I know wifey look real good and she real cute. But guess what? She didn't die on the cross for your sins. And so she plays a role, but she's not king or God in your life. Oh, I hope you can handle that. We can turn gifts into God. I don't want you to do that with your talent. I don't want you to do that with your skill set. We want to say, Lord, thank you for what you've blessed me with. I'm going to have the confidence to keep using it, but I won't let the thing you gave me be a replacement of you. Every business person, every person who deals with wealth on an extreme level and you have it. I love the fact that you have it. I love the fact that you're getting it. But please don't turn mammon into a replacement for God. Keep a relationship with God. Make margin in your schedule to keep coming to church. Continue to create margins and boundaries no matter how busy the work life is. Make space for the Lord in your life. Glory to God. Okay, verse 14. You were anointed guardian cherub. Look at that. He calls him a guardian cherub. That's terminology for angels. This man that he's talking to is not an angel because he's addressing the heart behind the king, which is more satanic than anything. You were an anointed guardian cherub, for I had appointed you. You were on the holy mountain of God, and you walked among the fiery stones. He said, everybody recognize how gifted you were. You were up here with me. I put you here. And people saw how blessed you were. Verse 15, from the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you. He said, you started right, but you ended wrong. 
How many of us start, saw people who started the goal right, started the business right, started the relationship right, but at some point we get so comfortable with it that we replace God with it and our heart turns. Something happens because we forget about humility, that I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God. It wouldn't be here. Isn't it funny how you fell in love with the church? Oh, that's my place, girl. You need to come through. I'm in love with this. I found a great place to go to. Been there for six months, and now your heart is changing and altering because you feel like you're not being seen or recognized or heard. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe, God is allowing there to be a perceived delay because he's working something out of you before he gives something to you. Ah, Oh, sometimes I, there's several people that I know that are just desperate, desperate for a role, desperate for a position, desperate to get it. And sometimes God is humbling them so he gets some of that stuff out of them so that they don't turn around and make the position a God in their life. Yeah. Oh, this is good, man. Whether you're getting some out of this, I'm getting some. I'm going to go back and watch this video myself. <laughs> Verse 16, through the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I expelled you in disgrace from the mountain of God and I banished you, you angel, you guardian cherub from among the fiery stones. God rejected him. He says in the abundance of your trade, you had so much. You had so much. Listen to me, talented people. Listen to me, gifted people. Listen to me, pretty people. There's no, nothing wrong with you being pretty. Be pretty, girl. Rock it. <laughs> Just watch your heart that you don't always think you're prettier than everybody else. Just regulate your heart to be humbled. But I want you to own it. I need you to be confident because people who don't have confidence never step up to do what God has called them to do. So I want you to have confidence. I just don't want it to translate over into arrogance. And I know that they look like they're related, but they are not. Really, the distinction between arrogance and confidence, confidence by definition is freedom from fear. That's all it is. I don't have, there's no fear. I can step into the thing that God is calling me to do and I can still do that thing because I'm confident. Arrogance has a lot to do with people. The moment you become arrogant, you feel compelled to step on someone to feel better about you. And as long as we don't step on people, God will keep elevating you because there's no need for me to make you into a stepping stool in order to get to where I need to go. I can celebrate you while I celebrate what God is doing in my life and we can still get there together. Yo, this Puerto Rican is preaching. I don't, yo, this is so good right now. So if you if you take it now, notes, you can write this down. This is in your handout. Uh, but God isn't looking for position seekers, but rather he's looking for present seekers. Here's Satan in his face, leader of praise and worship, and he falls in love with the role more than he falls in love with the God that gave him the role. And this is the reason why I think that sometimes God doesn't even give positions to people who are desperate for it. Oftentimes he gives positions and power to people who don't even want it. Because the people who want the, the, the role or the title or whatever so desperate, in essence, they take the position and replace God with the position. And think about that. Nobody wants to be in a relationship with anybody who's only in their face for something and not someone. Oh, you kissing me because I bought you the car. I need you to kiss me because you like me. And many people are in God's face for something. And God says, I need you in my face because of me. Will you pursue my presence because I'm enough, not necessarily the thing I gave you? Are you hearing what I'm saying? So there's enough presence of God to go around. And consequently, when you worship his presence and seek his presence, then he'll turn around and give you his presence. 
I'll give that to you because I now know that you want me over it. So even if you lose it, you don't walk away from a relationship with me because you came to me for me, not for it. And oftentimes people bail on God when they deal with injuries and betrayals and hurts because oftentimes they forgot that God is still God and they think that God is only God if good things are happening. What if I told you, somebody explain that to Jesus for Good Friday. Oh my God, Jesus hung on a cross and we called it good selfishly because we are the beneficiaries of something that he had to suffer for. Ah, are you getting anything out of this? You get anything out of this? You get something out of this? Good. Well, okay. So uh, you already got that, number one. And then number 17, let me, this is the last verse here. Your heart became proud because of your beauty. He said, boy, you, were so, you look so good, but your heart got in the way. There was nothing wrong because God gave him the beauty. There was nothing wrong with it, but his heart wasn't humble. He didn't regulate it appropriately. And as a result, it turned into wickedness. And there's so much to say about that. But if you're taking our notes, write this down. It's in your handout. You will either be humble. This is the answer. Or be humble. You're either going to be humbled by God because everyone who exalts themselves, God said, I will have to put you down. I, I can't let you keep running around in my face with another agenda being arrogant because you could only be who you are because of me. So, so, so you either be humbled by me or you make a decision in your heart to practice humility and be humble. And when you want it like I want it for you, I'll elevate you to show you there's a reward for the humble. Ah. Uh, Luke 14 verse 11 says it this way. Very good text. Go back and read it in its entirety. But Jesus said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So if you go ahead and humble yourself, God says, I'll raise you up. Because I know that I can raise you up because I can trust you with whatever it is because you keep a humble heart. So this is internal work more than it's external. Are you hearing what I'm saying? James chapter 4 verse 6 says it this way. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Oppose. I'm from New York. We used to say like, you know, somebody, you didn't want to fight them. I know this is a bad illustration in church, but I'm going to use it anyways. And so you didn't want to fight somebody. You would just mush them. A mush was like, you put my hand on your face and just push you away. And that's what I think about when I see the word oppose. God opposes the proud. Do you know that in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, it says there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination. The very first thing that he mentions out of seven is a proud look. He says, I don't even like the look of pride that you would sit there with your head high and your nose down on everyone else when I know who you are and I know you got frailties and I know you're broken because I know you. I know your strengths and I know your weaknesses. So how dare you walk around like you're better than someone else? This is an attitude of the heart and it's the pride of life and we got to work on it. Oh, this is good. So, 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 so let me give you three big ideas about humility really quick. Now, now, really quick. In the middle, you got, you, got, you got humility. Over here, you have pride. Some people think that the opposite of humility is false humility, or the opposite of pride, rather, is false humility. They, they get into this self-deprecating, uh, I, I have to beat myself up, I have to talk down to myself, I have to belittle myself, so consequently, if, if it's prideful, what's the opposite? They think, I'm nothing, I'm no one, I can never be in, that's not the Bible. Jesus never walked around with a false sense of humility. Jesus walked around knowing who he was. Jesus was confident and humble. And if he's our example, then what did Jesus do? Jesus never said anything negative about himself to himself. Are you? 
because Jesus didn't do it. Jesus didn't walk around talking, I'm just ugly. I'm nothing. Jesus always said what his father said about him. Will you say what your father says about you? Yeah. And if you find out who you are in Christ, your confidence will rise to another level because the attitude or rather the mindset of God for you is higher than oftentimes we think of ourselves. God is thinking an appropriate view of you. He sees you more than a conqueror through him who loved you. Greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. And nay, and all these things, I can do more, I mean, I can do more through Christ who strengthens me. When you read your Bible, the way God sees you, he sees you high and lifted up, seated next to Christ. Can you see you like that? So number one, really quick, number one, number one, what is humility? I was I was down there. Right. I didn't do this in the other services. But let me read this to you. This was an old message that I had about humility. What is humility? Humility is an inner awareness of your own frailty and limitations. Not that you are negative about yourself, but you recognize, yo, if I don't put up the right boundaries, I could fall easy. Oh, I know I could relapse if I keep going back to the bar. Oh, I know. That's a that's an inner awareness of being humble enough to be like, "Uh, I'm not going in because I know me. You may not know you, but I know me and I ain't doing it. Yeah, what is humility? It's an attitude that understands that all you have is owned to God. Humility can be cultivated by an increase in your gratitude. You want to increase humility? Be thankful for the small things. Find big in small and your gratitude will start to rise up and it will cause humility to be birthed in your life. Start to recognize that people on the stage and people who clean the bathrooms are on the same playing field. So, so, so what is humility? Humility, number one, back to your notes and your feelings, it's an appropriate view of yourself. Romans chapter 12 says it this way, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. What's the implication? There's a certain way you have to think of yourself. So don't go too high and definitely don't go too low with this false humility because that's not God either. So I need you to be, if you're going to walk away from this message, don't hear what I didn't say. Sometimes you hear things that are not said based on your own insecurity. Well, Pastor Emmy, I know you said this. Well, that's not really what I said. That's what you heard based on where you're broken. And so I don't want you walking away hearing something that I didn't say. I need you confident because confident people will continue to be used by God because you play a role in stepping out, Joshua, because you got to be strong and courageous. That's what he told them. You're not going to go to battle and do what I told you to do if you're intimidated and fearful, Gideon. Okay. All right. So appropriate view of yourself. Number two, what is humility? Humble people are teachable. Can you be taught? When you are walking around with a lot of pride, it's hard for you to admit you're wrong. It's hard for you to say sorry. Most relationships that end up, no shame, no shame. Shame. Somebody say shame off me. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to help correct any, any future decisions going forward. But, but all, the, all, all people who end up in divorce, it, a lot of times it's just a lot of pride. No one wants to get humble enough to talk about the real issues and humble themselves to say, I'm sorry. Maybe most relationships that fall apart, they fall apart because of pride. At some point, humility needs to enter the room before you enter the room so that the relationship can get healed. But it, it requires humility. It really does. And so uh, number two is teachable. Humble people are teachable. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1 says this, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. I didn't write it, but whoever hates correction is stupid. 
I didn't write that. If you're wrestling with anybody, blame Solomon. He's the one who wrote it. But the Bible says when you hate to be corrected, it's stupid. Now, just think about it. If something's broken and it's not working, but there's so much pride, how do we correct it if the answer is humility so that correction can enter in? Do we just leave it broken because we're so arrogant so we will walk away and let it fall apart because nobody wants to humble themselves to fix it? Oh, my God. And number three, it's considerate of other people. When you are humble, you're not always just, hear me out, humility is not thinking of yourself, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking of yourself less. I don't have to put myself down to be humble, but I do got to get to a place where I begin to honor you, begin to respect you begin to respect, to elevate you. The, the text says that I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read verse 3. You go back and read the whole chapter. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value other people above yourself. How many people know that if I'm going to value you above me, I have to be secure first? It's going to be hard for me to elevate you and consider you better than me if I'm insecure, because by elevating you, I'm going to feel like I should be getting what I'm giving you because my heart is broken. And this is the reason why we got people throwing shade and hating and not helping is because it's hard to celebrate you to perceive that you're winning because I feel like I'm losing by simply giving you a compliment. Wow. Oh, my God, you might have to slow the video down just to get out what I just said. <laughs> so we need our hearts to be so secure so that it's never a threat to encourage you, to build you up. You're amazing without me feeling less of a person because I told you something that I wish someone told me. <sighs> this is my last point for you. It's in your handout. Only humility will get you out of what pride got you into. And because pride is such a blind spot, oftentimes we don't see it and someone else has to come along and say something. But humility is the answer. It's what Jesus used to get to the top. The Bible says he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Je God gave him a name that was exalted so high because he humbled himself and wasn't threatened to go so low. It's the answer. Put your notes away. I'm going to pray for you right now. I want you to take this big idea into consideration. The Bible suggests that in the last days, which I believe we're in right now, that, that in the last days, there's going to be a strong spirit of arrogance everywhere, spirit of pride. This is what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, disobedient to their parents. It just goes on and on and on. And all of those characteristics are founded by some kind of pride underneath. That's what it says it's going to be in the world. I believe that we're living in the last days when that spirit that's out there begins to penetrate the church. And now the people are becoming arrogant when we're supposed to be humble representations of God. Hear me, hear me. Satan's indictment in heaven was what? I will go back and read Isaiah 14 because he's talking to another king, but he does the same thing with this guy in Ezekiel chapter 28. And he, this is what Satan says. I will be like God. I'm going to be greater than God. I will exalt my kingdom or my throne above the most high. I will. I will. He has a strong will. A lot of times prideful people have a strong will. It's hard for them to bend. And so hear me out. That same attitude has so impregnated the world that today. I'm not trying to make a doctrine out of this. Please, please, I'm not trying to. Please keep your arguments about who you believe the greatest of all time is. Like, like Tom Brady? Yeah. He's great. He's good. He's good. And we know what you mean when you say that. But isn't it interesting that that phrase, 
the greatest of all time, is an acronym to mean GOAT. And isn't it interesting that in scripture, GOATs have always been representations of evil. In Matthew 25, at the end, when Jesus begins to separate people, he separates them based on his classification, the sheep and the goat. And to the goats, he says, I'm going to treat you like Beyonce, to the left, to the left. <laughs> but to the sheep, he says, I'm going to put you where the true shepherd is. And where is he sitting? At the right hand. I'm going to put the sheep on the right side. And isn't it interesting that today when you look around with a sense of pride, we're wearing that goat head symbol everywhere. This the greatest of all time. It's almost like he left the mark in heaven and it fell down to earth. And now this little insinuation of being the greatest of all time, but it's always attached to his symbol. Don't you know that this church of Satan uses their logo, which is what? A man in a goat head. This image of the goat is a representation of pride. Why? Because when you look at real animals and you study animals, sheep are some of the most humblest animals because they can be led by the shepherd and they can be led to be pastored. But when it comes to goats, goats have such a strong will and they love kicking and spitting and fussing. And according to Jesus, he never celebrated the image of a goat. He always celebrated the image of a sheep. Somebody say, I'm a sheep. And I'm humble. And that's what he's trying to pour into our hearts. Please don't hear what I didn't say. I'm not trying to start a doctrine about the term goat. But it is interesting how when it's overlooked and ignored, it's just subtly embedded in the culture. And we rock that goat image more than we talk about the sheep. And Jesus is the true lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Did you get anything out of today's message today? I hope you got something out of it. I want to pray for you right now. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for marking this day on the calendar in heaven. You knew who would be here. You knew who would be watching online. You knew that there would be another location where other people would be. Father, right now, we hit reset and repent in our hearts. If we became too puffed up, maybe we need to go back and there's a husband who needs to say sorry to his wife and be humble enough to start the conversation. Maybe there's a wife who needs to say sorry to her daughter and be humble enough to start the conversation. Maybe there has to be somebody who who's been watching online for a while, but you've been afraid to come back because whatever the reason is, you need to send the emails to your pastor and say, can we hit reset and repent and start all over because I love my church and my pride has been stopping me from walking through the front door. Whatever it might be, humility gets us out of whatever pride got us into. Today's that day to hit reset and start all over so that the grace and the favor of God can begin to provide open doors and transform every single life. And with every head bowed, and maybe you're watching online as well, do you know that the only way to get into the kingdom of God is through an attitude of humility? Because in order to be saved, you got to admit that you need a savior because you have to admit humbly, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus in my life. And maybe that's you today with no shame, shame off you and love on you. But wherever you are right now, maybe today's that day where you put your pride aside and say, I need you, Lord, in my life, and I'm hitting reset to make you Lord over my life. 
If that's you and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I'm not talking about the Jesus your mama knows or your dad knows or the Jesus that the pastor talks about. I'm talking about is he personal to you? If you've never made him personally yours, you're still disconnected. If you couldn't confidently tell me if I die today, I'm going to heaven, you need Jesus to be your Lord. So if you've never said yes to Christ and you need me to pray for you right now, just as an act of faith, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just put your hand up right now and say, Emmy, pray for me. Pray for me right now because I can use it. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. I'm looking around right now. Is that anybody who says, I need the Lord? I see that hand. This service was for you. This service was for you. This service was for you. All those hands, even the tears, that service is for you when you're crying. And the Lord, he understands sign language, tear language. He knows what your heart is saying right now. For those of you who are online, put your hands, your, your double hand emoji in the group text. Let some know that I'm making a decision too so that someone can follow up with you. Now with confidence wherever you are, whether you're online at the other location or here right now, everyone with confidence, let's support those who are raising their hands and say this with me. Say Heavenly Father. Father. Say it with confidence. Heavenly Father. And I thank you for Jesus. I repent of my sin and I make Jesus my Lord. I surrender all. Holy Spirit, you can have my life. Use my life and change it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.